Well, good morning, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Real Talk on this Friday morning. I'm Ryan Jesperson, and I'm thrilled to have you here on what promises to be a barn burner of a broadcast. We're going to talk to Alberta's official opposition leader, Rachel Notley, coming up in just a couple of minutes. A lot of ground to cover with the former premier of Alberta now serving in opposition and then a former colleague of mine. Uh, right up until uh, last week when she walked away from a very high-profile job, one of the highest-profile radio gigs in Canada, quite frankly, uh, a Toronto morning show because of what she described as working conditions she simply could not tolerate anymore. We're going to get into the details with Sapria Duvetti uh, coming up at 9 o'clock Mountain Time, the full hour with Sapria on a Friday on Real Talk from 9 to 10 Typically, we would bring you a roundtable, a real talk roundtable with two, three, or, or maybe even four panelists that would take on the, the news stories of the day, the issues of the day, and, and dive into them uh, in meaningful fashion. But an opportunity to check in with Sapria, uh, who, quite frankly, I've always wanted to co-host a show with, was too much to pass up. So we're going to see how that hour goes. And if it goes really well, maybe we'll make her a job offer right here on the spot. We'll see how that goes. want to give a shout out to everybody that's already chiming in on our YouTube live stream right now. That's a great way to leave comments for the show, as well as those of you that are already saying good morning right now using the Real Talk RJ hashtag on Twitter. That's one that we're following. Everybody seems to be really excited about trash talk that's where we get to your emails the ones you've submitted to the show through the week uh, right around 10 o'clock brought to you by local waste trash talk every friday right here on real talk and how amazing is it to hear from those of you that are streaming our audio right now by way of ryanjesperson.com you're probably using the mixler app to make sure that you can tune in live even on your way into work like, like jeff and dexter in calgary right now tuned in we're grateful you're here with with us. You know, the broadcast wouldn't happen every day without the amazing support of our presenting sponsor. You met CEO Adam O'Brien earlier this week. The guy knows his stuff when it comes to cryptocurrency, doesn't he? As the founder, the CEO at Bitcoin, well, they've just rebranded, but they've got the same goal of making Bitcoin more accessible, more easy. And it's, of course, safe for you to purchase, to buy and sell. If you're trying to figure out this whole cryptocurrency thing and, and maybe how it fits into your investment structure, maybe it's something you just want to learn more about. The team at Bitcoin Well is here to answer those questions, to facilitate the transactions. And though they're across Canada, they're proudly headquartered in the YEG right here in Edmonton, Alberta. For more information, just follow the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. All right, we're going to be getting to Rachel Notley in just a moment. If I understand correctly, and we'll clarify with her, Rachel Notley is actually, I, th I think, either mid-run right now. Uh, or maybe she's just finished her morning run and she's going to make time for us, which we certainly appreciate. We're going to get to some of the issues that are making news uh, today at the Alberta legislature as well as national news. Alberta's in the national news, like it or not, right now based on COVID numbers and our response to the pandemic. It's also been interesting to hear from uh, those of you across the province, not just in urban areas, not just in rural areas, but, but the entire gamut. And so we get a really clear sense of where people were at. You can email the show anytime 
at talk at ryanjesperson.com. And that's what Tori Campbell's done. And I wanted to get to this email before we get to Ms. Notley. Tori says, uh, I'm an elected official for a southern Alberta rural municipality. I'm 36 years old, uh, the youngest councillor by far and likely one of the most vocal members of a seven-person council. We live in a very conservative rural riding, and we have some very polarizing opinions within our population. Today, our council attempted to pass a mandatory face-covering bylaw, uh, received this on December 3rd. And like I said, said Tori, it was the most difficult day I've experienced in council chambers. From the dissenting views of opposing councillors to the aftermath of the emails that followed, an extremely heavy day. I made what I thought was an impassioned speech about how we're losing the war on COVID. Our leaders are letting us down and we're letting our citizens down by not taking a more aggressive approach to combating COVID. The bylaw failed to make it to third reading, but a special meeting of council will take place. Hopefully we'll get it passed. Tory says, I know people are going to be pissed. I know they're going to be disappointed. Uh, it's totally a hollow feeling to do what one thinks is best, yet know that you have still failed so many. Tori says, I've listened to Real Talk since day one, and I can't express how much I appreciate the, show, appreciate the show. It's really helped me navigate these times. And while that may sound over the top, it's given me the confidence to know that there are other people out there a hell of a lot brighter than I am. I don't know about that, Tori. Saying the same things. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. That from Tori Campbell. Thank you for tuning in, Tori, and thanks for taking the time to chime in with us. Again, talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can get in touch with the show. Let's get to our leadoff guest on this Friday morning. Uh, she has served Alberta, as you know, as Premier. Right now, she's leading the official opposition, and she's already stated she's going to be there in 2023, leading the NDP into the next election. She wants to be Premier again. Rachel Notley, welcome to Real Talk, making your debut on this Friday morning. We're happy to have you here. Well, good morning. I'm happy to be here, and congratulations on Real Talk. Hey, thanks so much. Do I do I understand? I, no, go ahead. I was going to say I, I am. There's a, a very weird uh, feedback right now that's about uh, five seconds, so I can kind of hear what's going on. Sorry. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to work on that as best we can. What I'll do in the meantime, uh, Rachel, okay. is is ask you a question and then just get out of your way. Uh, we we just heard from an elected councillor out of southern Alberta, Tori Campbell, who says it's been a very difficult time. We're losing the war on COVID. Our leaders are letting us down. Uh, pretty strong words from an, uh, an elected official. Do you believe that we're losing the war on COVID in Alberta right now? Um, I do. I, I agree uh, quite strongly with what Tori is saying. And let me just say as well to Tori, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I just personally, I, I think uh, she's doing a really good job. And uh, and thank you to her, because let me say this. I mean, you know, we have seen on, on multiple fronts that this UCP government is taking rural Alberta for granted. And by uh, underestimating the risk to rural Albertans, uh, they're doing it once again. And, you know, we just heard from, from Dina Hinshaw just yesterday. She was raising the alarm about the, uh, the rate of growth of cases in rural Alberta. Um, and, uh, and, and by no means uh, are those communities immune. And at the same time, many of them don't have the capacity to provide the treatment that's necessary if the numbers start to, to uh, pop up. So, you know, keep up the good work. I know it's hard in these communities, but, you know, try to have those respectful conversations. And, uh, and I'm glad that you're able to, to uh, get out there and contribute to the conversation that is happening in, in certain communities around the province, Ryan. Alberta is, is the talk of the town, so 
so to speak. Uh, Ontario's Health Minister Christine Elliott is referencing us in the Ontario legislature. Everybody in Canada is looking at Alberta's COVID numbers. And we heard this week that uh, the Alberta government is looking to procure as a strategy, uh, says the health minister, field hospitals like big tents from the Red Cross and from the federal government if and when our hospitals reach capacity. Uh, How are you processing what you're seeing right now? And do you believe that this could have been avoided? If so, how? Well, I absolutely believe that it could have been avoided, and uh, and I'm deeply frustrated uh, sitting on the sidelines watching this. Uh, we have a a premier who, you know, on, on two fronts, he's he's enmeshed in his in a in a very sort of um, uh, unique ideology, and then on top of it, he's allowed that I think uh, to lead him down the path of of of, uh, of uh, a, a, you know very unhelpful. Um, uh, uh, frame where he's pitting the economy against health. And he's saying, I can't possibly do anything to protect uh, the health of Albertans because that would hurt the economy. And yet just today, we saw that once again, uh, over this last month, while most other major provinces across the country have engaged in much more significant efforts to keep their citizens safe, that Alberta is leading the country in terms of uh, uh, job loss and in terms of the unemployment rate, second only to uh, Newfoundland. Uh, We lost 30,000 full-time jobs last uh, month. And uh, while we gained roughly 19,000 part-time, you can certainly tell that that's a net loss. And it's one of the worst records that we've seen across the country. So this whole idea that putting people's health at risk uh, is somehow an economic strategy is fundamentally flawed. Uh, Moreover, uh, what we are hearing from uh, multiple leaders on the frontline healthcare, uh, front lines of our healthcare. You know, ICU directors and experts, uh, nurses, others. Is are saying that that the the system is not going to be able to handle this. And and uh, Jason Kenney and Tyler Shandro are misleading Albertans when they say that this. Uh, act of being the only province in the country to reach out to the Red Cross and the federal government for hospital-based uh, disaster field tents um, is that somehow that's just good planning is ridiculous because we are pretty sure they expect to have to use them now because even if the numbers of cases that we have right now were to flatten out and there's no reason to believe they will because Jason Kenney will not act um, we know that there's more actual hospitalizations coming down the road because they lag behind two or three weeks and so our health officials are deeply concerned, and these guys even now will not step up to act. They are waiting another week and a half, and uh, you know, it's it's just I, I'm just not in the, on this side of the border. Uh, I have not ever seen uh, the level of uh, ineptitude and ambivalence and and wrong. Uh, wrong thinking uh, on the part of a government leader. I mean, a pandemic rises above partisan politics. And, uh, you know, we've seen uh, conservative politicians in other parts of the country do what needs to be done to to be there for their citizens. And I don't understand why we can't see it from Jason Kenney. Let me let me ask you about the 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 partisan politics of a pandemic. Uh, You know, as an example, Alberta's justice minister uh, the Honorable Casey Madu out of Edmonton. Uh, if, if you read his Twitter timeline and our viewers and our listeners can do that on their own time, they can do it in real time while they're listening to you and I speak live right now. 
uh, Ms. Notley, they'll, they'll note that the justice minister spends more time talking about the official opposition than he does, I think, about what his own government's doing. He spends more time talking about the NDP than he does about COVID-19, and he certainly spends more time talking about the official opposition than he does his portfolio, uh, which is justice. I- I'm just uh, cherry-picking here comments of his. I'm just, I'm just reading. November 27th, I wish the NDP would resist the urge to politicize every aspect of this pandemic. Uh, you know, th- this is what the NDP does each and every time during the pandemic. Uh, Albertans reject the NDP's nasty, divisive behavior during this pandemic. Uh, I-, I could go on and on. People can see for themselves. As a matter of fact, about a week ago, he publicly demanded an apology from you for failing to provide solutions uh, when it comes to Alberta's response to COVID-19. Um, I guess I could I could pursue uh, an entertaining response by asking you if you intend on apologizing to Albertans, but why don't I keep it classy and ask you, do you believe that you have done your job as the official opposition to challenge this government while working in the spirit of a bipartisan effort to give Albertans the best possible chance to fight this pandemic that we can possibly have? Uh, You know, I mean, not surprisingly, I'm going to say that I do believe that we've done that. And I would urge your viewers, if they haven't had a chance to do it yet, to go to albertasfuture.ca. Because throughout this pandemic, going back to the spring, we have tried to be as propositional as we can be. And we have uh, uh, put forward ideas uh, to support Albertans um, and ideas uh, even to support the government, I suppose, uh, to adopt strategies that that would help Alberta get through this, whether, uh, you know, for instance, we have a seven point plan, uh, sort of a phase two uh, of the a second wave uh, seven point plan to support small businesses uh, that we put out there uh, calling on the on the on the Kennedy government to do that in order to instead of pitting small businesses against people's health to actually step up and support small businesses as they struggle through the inevitable um, uh, challenges that come from people not going into their their um, businesses because of the pandemic. Um, you know, so we've got a seven point plan on that. Uh, Sarah Hoffman did a, you know, a 15 point plan. I mean, yes, we're a little point heavy, but nonetheless, we have lots of ideas uh, around how to get back into school safely. Uh, we've done a six point plan just around um, ideas with respect to uh, testing and contact tracing and, and transparency. Um, and and so we have actually been trying to put forward a, a number of ideas. And of course, the UCP is not going to agree with all of them. But, you know, we're putting them out there and, and Albertans can see them. And if they don't agree, that's fine. If the UCP doesn't agree with all of them, that's fine, too. But we're being as propositional as we can be so that people can talk together about the, the various, you know, the challenges we face and ideas uh, and the solutions that might exist and what those would cost. Um, and so that's albertasfuture.ca. So we've been doing that a lot. So I find it ironic, actually, that Casey Madu said, I should apologize for not offering solutions because we've been, if anything, you know, we're, we're, we're a little policy heavy these days. Um, and yes, though, at the same time, we do uh, you know, it does get a little hot in the legislature because, you know, I mean, we had a premier who told us there was no modeling. And then we discovered that there was modeling that showed, you know, how far, uh, you know, how many cases we were going to have uh, two or three weeks ahead of us. So for, for weeks, they said it didn't exist. And then it 
turned out that it that it did. Uh, they told us constantly that we were undercutting Dina Hinshaw when we questioned uh, the, their lack of action. And then, of course, we had um, tapes released which showed, no, that's not actually true. They are the ones that aren't following uh, good portions of her advice. But for the first six or seven months of this pandemic, anybody even beginning to question whether Alberta was making the right choices were, you know, we were um, demonized uh, and, and they hid behind Dina Hinshaw, which was incredibly unfair, frankly, to her. And also, more importantly, it was an abrogation of their responsibility uh, to be straight up with the people of Alberta. You know, this is hard. I'll tell you that, Ryan. It's very hard. I mean, we dealt with a, a much more acute, but thankfully much shorter term uh, disaster uh, when we dealt with the fires at Fort McMurray. I know it's hard. Um, but this government is taking an approach to not be uh, forthcoming with Albertans about the challenges that we all face. And when you're trying to get people to come together and to work together, one of the key elements of that is to make sure that they trust you and to give them all the information that they need to make the best decisions. And on both fronts, unfortunately, this government's failing. What do you think that Alberta learned during the Fort McMurray wildfires, and for that matter, the Slave Lake wildfire, for that matter, the southern and central Alberta flooding uh, that we could or should be or even are applying to our pandemic response. Do you see any principles here that, that show that we're learning from difficult experiences? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that we're not, unfortunately, as, as much as we could have. Like, certainly uh, when when my government was leading the, uh, the province through the Fort McMurray fires, we were able to look back at what worked and what didn't work, both with the floods and with Slave Lake. And so, for instance, with the flooding, uh, I remember being in opposition and, and looking at the, the, um, the, the hostility and the negativity that existed between uh, the Wild Rose and the, and the Conservatives at the time and, and the, the, the fights that they had. And so one of the things that we decided that we would do very early on is that we would brief the opposition. You're talking about how we work with the rest of the government every day about what was going on in Fort McMurray. And if they had questions, we would get them answers and we would give them access to public officials. And, and every day they had access to information. Um, you know, the UCP hasn't done that at all. They, they, we, uh, we find out information after the media does uh, when they report it. Um, and, but more to the point, it's not about us. It's about Albertans. Uh, we did everything we could to answer every question that we were asked in order to make sure, again, that everybody understood what we were up against, even the hard stuff, even the things that were going to be hard for Albertans to, to uh, um, cope with. Um, we were as upfront as we could be. These guys aren't doing it. I mean, again, as I say, they're saying, they're saying oh, we're never going to use these field hospitals. I don't think that's true. I think they're planning to have to use them. And, and you know, I think that we just need to, even though we shouldn't be at the point where we are right now, I think that uh, what we should learn is that when you make a mistake, you apologize. That's what Jason Kenney should do. He should then move forward to, to bring in much greater restrictions so that we can stop this spiraling rate of cases. And then uh, we need to work together in terms of supporting our businesses and, and people who uh, lose their jobs um, uh, we're, as we're going through that and when we come out of it. That's the formula that we should put in place, and it should begin by having a frank conversation with Albertans and apologizing for the fact that we're on the wrong path right now. Uh, we're going to be uh, asking Rachel Notley in just a moment 
our leadoff guest this morning. If, if she was premier, would she be essentially shutting down the province? What does she think is the right answer there? I want to ask her as well about the new drunk driving laws and the, the plant wall and a couple other things. Uh, but first, we want to recognize one of the, our sponsors here on Real Talk that's really resonating with you. I know because you're tweeting at me and telling me, right? Every single morning, I'm, I'm talking to you about the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens and Baseline Road, Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. I'm starting to get tweets like this one from Orange and Grand Prairie yesterday. It says, I'm in GP for every morning that I can listen to or watch the show. I wind up getting something from Dairy Queen here every single morning. You're going to make me fatter, man. But my fur kids appreciate it. The dogs are getting ice cream. And then there's Dawn and Carla that, that are trying to get the hashtag trending. Jespo made us do it. They said we went through the baseline Dairy Queen. Tr- I know, Sam, they're, bl- they're blaming me. They said we went through the baseline Dairy Queen drive-thru this evening after the relentless pushing that Jesperson does on Real Talk, and I'm so glad that we did. So, Don and Carla, I'm glad that you enjoyed your blizzards. Make sure you check out Dairy Queen through the drive-thru right now. They're proudly locally owned. We're talking to Rachel Notley, the leader of Alberta's official opposition. I, I didn't, I, I suppose, segue on purpose, moving from a, a restaurant or food and beverage uh, sponsor, Rachel, to asking you about uh, basically businesses remaining open or closing down. We're going to be, after I talk to you, uh, bringing our viewers, our listeners, some uh, audio from Manitoba's Premier Brian Pallister as he basically said, I'm the guy shutting down your Christmas. He gets a little bit emotional about it. If you were Premier right now, what would Alberta's shutdown order look like? To what degree would you be clamping down heading into the holiday season? Well, let me begin by saying that, um, you you know, no one wants to go uh, into a full-on shutdown or clamp down right in in advance of the holiday. And and I honestly, I I do believe that that, uh, if I was Premier right now, we wouldn't be in this position. Uh, We would have taken more significant efforts, but still targeted much earlier on. We would have contact tracers, uh, we would have had a very different school relaunch, um, and and uh, we just wouldn't be at the level of crisis that we're at right now. But I think at this point, uh, we, we are past the point of being able to avoid a shutdown. I think that's what we need. As I've said before, I think that needs to be paired with a very robust um, offer by the provincial government to support the small businesses who they put at risk. Um, and, and we know like that you know some food and beverage places like for instance Dairy Queen uh, will be able would be able uh, in many cases to be able to carry on but we can't have in in room dining in room bar uh, um, uh, attendance it just doesn't make sense I mean it's common sense Ryan that you you don't have a bunches of people together indoors um, without masks on <laughs> I mean like it's a really simple thing. And, and we just can't do that anymore. And so we, we, we do have to be more aggressive. And I just, I can't help but think about, you know, I'm listening to doctors every day on, on, on the radio and on TV uh, talking about uh, the fact that they are very close to having to make life and death triage decisions for who gets help and who doesn't. And, and what we know, as I said before, is that even if we were to stop at 1,800 cases a day, and there's no reason to believe that that's going to happen. Um, that the uh, the hospitalizations uh, and the and the pain and the suffering from from vulnerable Albertans and the families that love them, um, it's coming either way because it's two or three weeks behind. And so we can't let this grow any further. We just 
can't. And uh, so my, our proposal is to step up and support those businesses that suffer as a result. Instead of pretending that we're supporting them as they watch their revenue dwindle anyway, because the vast majority of Albertans are not going out. And so this is not actually uh, supporting those businesses, quite honestly. Uh, it's, it's a pretend game. Those businesses are suffering either way, except that this way, Jason Kenney gets to pretend that he has no responsibility to support them through these difficult times. Rachel Notley is our guest, leader of Alberta's official opposition. We talked to Sherry Arsenault earlier this week. Uh, she lost her son Bradley back in 2011, along with his two buddies, Cole and Thad, in an absolutely tragic and preventable car crash. They were rear-ended by a drunk driver. Uh, Rachel killed on the spot, the three of them, and Sherry's dedicated her life uh, through Families for Justice to uh, pursuing tougher impaired driving legislation. We also talked to Kyla Lee, who's a uh, criminal defense lawyer uh, out of Vancouver, and she spends a lot of time uh, tackling impaired driving charges. It's, it's right in her wheelhouse. What's interesting about the two of them with completely different backgrounds and completely different perspectives, right? One of them works to get people off their impaired driving charges. The other wants impaired drivers to rot in jail. My words, not cherries. Both of them greatly dislike Alberta's new impaired driving legislation. Here's the thing, though. With the United Conservatives essentially, let's call it decriminalizing a first offense when it comes to impaired driving, your government was looking at doing the exact same thing. So how comparable is what the United Conservatives put out and passed, what came into effect on December 1st, to what your government was looking at? And how do you feel about changes to Alberta's impaired driving laws? Well, you know, it's a tough it's, it's a tough issue, which is why, of course, we were only looking and we hadn't uh, landed yet because um, it is a very challenging issue. I think uh, like with, with Sherry, I think um, we can all agree that we need to do uh, everything at our disposal to keep um, uh, drunk drivers off the road. And, and and to make sure that uh, reoffenders uh, are not given the opportunity to get back on the road um, and and that uh, public safety uh, is reigns supreme. Um, so I think that that's absolutely uh, fundamentally important. The challenge that we had with the way this particular bill was structured was that it um, it, it essentially uh, was it was really a, a cost savings bill. Let's be clear. It was about uh, keeping a whole swack of people out of the courts. And and so it was framed in different ways. But but that is actually the, the driving force behind that piece of legislation. And one of the things that it does is it gives uh, a, a much higher level of discretion uh, to the police to impose very, very, very significant fines. And then what it does is it removes the opportunity uh, for people to even appeal those decisions. And the trouble that I have with that is, you know, that piece of legislation was introduced right around the time that, you know, we were all, or at least I was, and I think probably many of your viewers were, um, reeling from the shock of seeing the video of uh, the RCMP attacking uh, Chief Allen Adams um, in Fort McMurray. And it was around the whole, you know, Black Lives Matter um, movement, but, well, not but, uh, and along with, you know, seeing on video uh, the, the horrific um, assault that, that um, uh, was brought to bear on Allen Adams. And so what we know is that uh, if you are a person of color, if you are Indigenous, um, that 
you know, there is an issue with trust with respect to the police. And so fundamentally removing the ability for uh, somebody to at least appeal a decision that is made on the roadside um, by a police officer is um, troubling to me. Um, so absolutely, I think we, we need to uh, increase penalties. You know, you want to see more of those the, of the uh, automatic locks, you know, where you can't even, you know, your vehicle doesn't start if you, if, if, uh, you can't breathe below um, uh, your, or, you know, with uh, no alcohol on it. All those kinds of things. There's lots of ways that we need to absolutely keep people off the road. Um, and we need to, of course, uh, uh, pretty aggressively uh, punish repeat offenders. But at the same time, um, creating a situation where people lose their ability, uh, th their day in court, when we see some the kinds of systemic issues that are clearly evident, um, particularly uh, in, 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 in rural areas where this is a big deal, um, you know, I'm, I've, that, that's why we couldn't support the legislation. And I'm not saying it's an easy balance. It is complicated. And that was one of the things that we were wrestling with when we were still in government. Uh, Rachel, we'll have you back on the show for sure. And, and we'll tackle a whole bunch of stuff. But as we wrap here, I know you've got something at nine. So do I. So this will be the final question. And I think people just want to seek clarification on this. Um, I want to ask you about the living wall. Uh, down at the federal building <laughs> at the legislature grounds. It's like, I laugh about it. So I don't cry about it. Uh, yeah. You know, it was spun by the premier's office that you wanted Albertans to spend $70,000 a year on maintaining a green wall. There's obviously way more to this story. And my understanding is that HVAC experts have chimed in and said that pulling the plants out is actually going to lead to about a million dollars in necessary work to, to essentially retrofit this. What's the truth here? What's the real story with the living wall that Albertans used to have? Um, you know, I don't know. I think it's a, a classic example of a penny wise pound foolish attempts to symbolically tell the world, look at us, we are saving money. But I think, in fact, what it really is, is a, a, a really sad um, a symbol of the scorched earth approach that this UCP government is going to take to um, uh um, investments and, and efforts uh, to build, uh, you know, community resilience and community health. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so it's a very sad example. I mean, obviously, like many of the decisions that the UCP are making under cover of COVID, this is another one of them. And, and honestly, uh, you know, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about it because there are much more important issues that matter to Albertans right now. Uh, you know, we have the, the uh, second highest rate of unemployment in the country. We lost 30,000 full-time jobs last month, and uh, we're on the verge of uh, pushing our acute care beds into disaster uh, um, relief tents run by the military. So, you know, bigger issues right now. But there's no question that it is a, a very sad symbol of, as I say, the scorched earth policy towards, um, uh, you know, community resilience and community growing efforts that uh, so many people uh, put time into doing in their own way in their lives uh, to make everybody's lives a little bit better. Rachel Notley is the leader of Alberta's official opposition, the NDP. And of course, you can find her on Twitter if you'd like to follow up on something you heard her say here. Thanks for making time for us on Real Talk and have a great weekend.
Yeah, and congratulations on the show, and I look forward to chatting with you uh, in the future. Yeah, you got it. That's Rachel Notley. Appreciate that. We're going to be talking to Sapria Duvetti coming up in just a moment. We'll get to some of your comments. A whole bunch of you pretty active on Twitter this morning, and, and we're also keeping an eye on our, our, our uh, live stream. Of course, many of you are watching us each morning on YouTube. We love that. Keep sending us the photos, by the way. Sam loves these photos, don't you? We got one from from Joe uh, down in Lacombe. Joe from Lacombe sent us a photo the other day of his uh, beautifully mounted big uh, flat panel TV and he, he's got the Christmas lights all surrounding it. He was watching real talk at home. Uh, that means a lot to us. And it was, it was great to see. Um, I just, I want to make sure that we also recognize, um, are we actually on YouTube right now? Are we, are we watching on YouTube right now? I think I may have just realized something's going on. That, we that, we are on YouTube. We right are now. on YouTube. We had right a now. couple frame dropouts, but okay. It looks, well, it looks, well, it looks stable now. You know so what? I, think we're I didn't. In good shape. I didn't. Uh, I didn't refresh my screen, and I must have okay. had it going. I had it going at eight twenty nine. Oh, so that must be why I didn't refresh yeah. it. Here's the reason why I was a little concerned because I want to make sure we can get to the comments. Right? Uh, we care about the comments. Uh, Rebecca's listening in, and she says it's a nerve wracking time uh, to be in Albertan right now. Uh, I I hate to put it that way. I, I mean, I feel kind of the same way. Um, let me know when we have Sapria Devetti. Um, we do have her. Okay, we're going to get to her in just a second. Uh, and, and then I'll get to some of my comments because I want to lo- loop Sapria in and I don't want to leave her sitting. And, and obviously her story is, is one of... Uh, people are paying attention to her story across the country right now. We're grateful for the team at Westworld Computers. This is the team that we have looked to uh, to essentially get us where we need to be to bring you this show live streaming, video and audio, podcasted. You know we are the number one podcast, number one most listened to podcast in Canada for six straight days. And, and then the guys at Spittin' Chicklets knocked us off the other day. They knocked us down to number two. They had a great episode, though, and I love spitting chiclets. So we're going we're gonna to work our best today to bump back up to number one. But th- this type of horse race wouldn't happen without the horsepower that Westworld Computers uh, puts in front of us. Sam's got the big iMac on the producer's desk. I'm rolling here with the new iPad, that 13-inch beautiful iPad and the MacBook Pro and everything else that goes along with it. We sat down with Daryl. His, you know, his family's owned this place for more than 40 years in Western Canada, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. And he was like, what do you need to do? What's your game plan? Let's make sure you have what you need. That's what Westworld Computers is all about. And we're grateful to them. We're also grateful to Todd's Mechanical. Todd is, I mean, I don't have favorite advertisers. We love them all, but I love Todd's story. He he worked in the oil field, had a career in the oil field. He wanted to spend more time with his family, more time at home. And so he started his mechanical business. He's a small business owner. He says he's nervous to advertise on Real Talk because he doesn't know if he's going to be able to handle the influx of business. And I said to him, well, Todd, the best thing is, is maybe you'll just have to hire more people. There's a lot of people working and looking for work in Alberta right now. Todd is proud to be the best plumber in Edmonton. Just look at his online ratings. Uh, If you have furnace repair needs, don't wait till it gets to minus 40. If you have plumbing and heating needs, show a little love to Todd's Mechanical, a proud sponsor here on Real Talk. You can give him a call directly at 780-499-7598. Let's get to Sapria Duvetti. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Uh, Sapria and I uh, had the honor of working together covering the 2019 federal election in Toronto for Global News. We were there on the talk radio desk together. She was a celebrated uh, talk show anchor on AM640 in Toronto uh, right up until uh, just a few days ago when she tendered her resignation, broadcast her last show, leaving on her own terms 
but it's a story that the entire country is being uh, paying close attention to. The reasons why she left, disturbing, troubling, difficult to imagine anybody enduring them, but Supriya has, right up until the point where she said, no more. And we're grateful to have her here joining us this morning. My friend, welcome to Real Talk. Thrilled to have you here. Thrilled to be here. And, uh, you know, congratulations on, on this whole thing that you've got going on. It's been very, very impressive. Can you imagine, Supriya, when you and I were sitting side by side uh, broadcasting last October, October 19th, on Global National across the country, if we would have seen this image in front of us, you and I would have wondered what was going on because we both had pretty plumb positions as talk radio hosts on the biggest talk network in Canada. But here you are, uh, freshly resigned on your own terms, appearing on my live streaming show that will be podcasted <laughs> later today. Life comes at you fast, my friend. Yeah, I mean, it really does. And I have a picture actually of just the two of us from you know a selfie that we had taken and there's like the global insignia in the background with you know federal decision 2019 whatever and it's like oh neither of us are there anymore so there you go <laughs> yeah it's kind of wild um uh, supriya i'm gonna i'll recognize uh, and i want to say this right out of the gates that there are probably going to be things that maybe you won't be able to to speak about and, and quite frankly there will be some things that i'm not going to be able to speak about because i don't think that either of our situations are totally resolved right now but as best we can get into it let's paint a pretty clear picture as clear a picture as we can uh, around why you decided to wrap up your career uh, as one of the most high-profile talk broadcasters in Canada, in Canada's largest market. How did you get to that point? So I think for myself, it was really the last, I mean, I was, I started at course in late 2016, and we started noticing, my co-host and I, um, the level of vitriol that we would receive and i mean you know gurney who is my initial co-host is a conservative you know right-leaning guy from the national post um so has a lot of conservative cred and we were both getting inundated with just a lot of crap and then i think it started to become clear and he made this uh, quite explicit in his comments to vice who, who broke the story that with respect to the kinds of stuff that we would both get in our inboxes it was very different. And I think the way Gurney put it to me best was like, hey, Gurney, you suck. And I would get, hey, you hey, you suck, Supriya, and also I'm going to rape you. So it's just the the level of, of abuse that I think women tend to receive and racialized women tend to receive is, um, is, is quite unique and it's quite troubling. And it was very, I think, from, from my perspective, disheartening to see how unseriously I think management were taking a lot of my concerns and it was very different when I was the target or my husband was the target at one point somebody even like said not to tie up my dog anywhere that was very different it, it, and then when the threats started to become about my daughter the email started focusing on her for me that was really the tipping point and I had received a rather vile email in late August um, about my daughter uh, about her being raped. It's, you know, she's wasn't even a year and a half at that point. And I, it was, that was it. Like it was, it was too much for me. So I, um, you know, I told management that I was planning on leaving. Um, their response from my perspective was 
again, rather disheartening and, and disappointing. Um, part of what they had said to me was if I couldn't stand the trolls, then I shouldn't you know, be in talk radio. And uh, so on October 6th, I tendered my resignation. And then my last day was November 27th, which was last Friday. Were you surprised, uh, just as an aside, that they kept you on air after you tendered your resignation so long? That's pretty unusual. A, a little bit, to be honest, yeah. because uh, it meant from, I mean, to me, I was like, okay, I guess you trust I won't say anything um, about this, which I didn't because I you know, wanted to remain professional and I didn't want to make things awkward for you know the technical producer that was there or my uh, interim co-host, uh, Greg Brady. So I... It, it was a little bit surprising and a little bit odd, but I guess they knew that I was going to keep up my end of the bargain. Uh, I, I won't focus too much on on the response from your former employer to you, uh, but as has been reported by Vice, and you just alluded to it, I think this demands attention uh, nationally. As far as I'm concerned, Howard Levitt is representing uh, Chorus Entertainment um, in, in, in your situation, as well as, by the way, in mine. Uh, in a letter that he wrote to you or to your legal representative, quote, if your client wishes to leave her role because she finds views dramatically different than her own to be antithetical to her continued employment or cannot tolerate the trolls of social media, then she does not belong in talk radio as practiced in North America. While I puke in my mouth, why don't you take that on? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I mean, where to start, right? Like, I, I think it's, it's just so beyond the pale. And I think it's, it so misses the point. So I think for one, anyone who knows me, anyone who's worked with me, uh, knows that I'm not one of these people that like shies away from opposing views or shies away from conservative views, if you want to put it that way. Um, I'm very much, you know, open to debate. I'm, I'm very much willing to engage in, in discourse and in conversation. Uh, with folks who have views that that are, you know, quite different um, to mine. I think the objections that I was raising and the concerns that I've heard from many folks on the TV side of things for global or the digital side of things for global who do actual news reporting is that my concern and the concerns shared by them are the discourse and the kinds of things that are said on talk radio um, are often demonstrably false. So let me just give you one example. Um, you might remember a few years ago, uh, this would have been in 2017, early-ish 2017, there was a federal motion to condemn Islamophobia. Now, a motion is a non-binding you know, resolution to basically express the parliamentary opinion at the time. Um, it's not a bill. It's not legislation. It's not the precursor to legislation. And yet there was a lot of you know, rhetoric on the station, either from hosts or guests that would suggest that the motion was a bill and they would conflate it for a bill. Um, it, they claimed it would do things that the motion was just not going to do uh, in terms of you know, fear mongering about how this was going to uh, basically criminalize uh, speech against Islam or any criticism of Islam, which of course was not the case. And that's a perfect example of which you can disagree with the motion. You can claim that the liberals are virtue singling or you know, vote banking or, or whatever it is that you wanna call it, um, pandering to minority communities, pick, pick, your, pick your, you know, your line here, but you can't say that the motion is a bill. 
Um, you know, likewise, in the aftermath of the uh, of the entire debate with respect to the UN Global Migration Compact, um, again, you can disagree with the ratification of it. You can disagree with the principles of it. You can't claim that our ratification means the UN now controls our borders. You know, like there's there's you're, you can have all the hottest takes in the world, but those takes need to be rooted in in reality. And they need to be backed up by objective facts. And this is, I'm not the first person to raise this. Um, I don't think I'll be the last person to raise this. And it's, it's kind of insulting from my perspective uh, for Chorus to suggest that I'm just some, you know, snowflake millennial who needs a safe space and I can't, you know, handle views that are, that are opposing to mine because that's simply not the case. I'm also not like a talk radio noob. Um, I was at CJD in Montreal for, you know, from 2011 to like 2014-ish. And so it, it's it, it, like, I don't need somebody to be mansplaining talk radio to me. I understand it quite well. And I understand that there's a way to do it where everything is still backed up by facts. Well, and I just, to me, and, and here's where we, we can broaden our conversation, Sapria, is is that to me, to you know, when, you, when you're talking about uh, blatant racism, threats to your life, your husband's yeah. life, the safety and security of your daughter, your dog, uh, like racism uh, perpetuating itself through online commentary. And, and when the representative or spokesperson um, for that talk radio platform says, you know, uh, you know, if you can't tolerate it, you don't belong in talk radio as practiced in North America. I know there are a lot of people that are that have moved from the talk platform in Edmonton to this talk platform, and that number is growing every single day. We see it with our subscriptions to our podcast and to our daily audio streams and, and video streams. I know that people love talk. I know that talk will forever be around because it's important. It's why you care about it. It's why I care about it. Mm-hmm. But I refuse to allow talk radio as practiced in North America to encompass or to, to, to include the definition of violent threats, racist expressions, uh, threats of, of violence. Uh, do you get what I'm saying? That's not talk yeah. radio. That's criminal behavior. It's, it's, it's the bottom of the barrel scumbag type stuff. And if that's going to define talk radio, then we have bigger problems than just what you or anybody else is experiencing on a personal level. That's a huge societal issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you raise a great point there. And I, I think I would just expand on that by saying that this whole conversation with respect to uh, you, misog- misogynistic comments, racist comments, etc. It's so much bigger than, than myself, you know, it's so much bigger than, than, you know, the conversation you and I are, are having right now, because it affects so many people. And there have been so many journalists, um, you know, black, indigenous, and, and, and of, of other racialized backgrounds that have basically self-selected themselves out because they didn't get the, you know, support that they needed from management. And they didn't have the, um, the tools in place that were put forward by their own respective companies to, uh, to deal with these situations. And that has huge implications, you know, wide reaching for in, in terms of the kinds of stories that end up being told, the, the kinds of diversity that you want in the newsroom. And let's let's not forget, I mean, this is all happening uh, in the backdrop of Chorus very publicly saying 
that they're going to make all these commitments with respect to diversity and inclusion and, you know, retaining and, and recruiting um, more BIPOC journalists. And it's just like, well, how can you square that with the comments that have been made, you know, towards me in an official capacity from Taurus? It's like they're completely incongruous. So we've got some really interesting comments here uh, from those that are that are tuned in right now watching live on YouTube, Sapria, and, and, and many are referencing, you know, Heather, for example, says, remember the far right's hero called journalists the enemy of the people. I think she's referring to Donald Trump, although I think there's probably a few heroes of the far right right now. Others uh, say, and, and some people are talking about their lived experience, for example. Um, you know, one of our listeners, Rebecca, says, as a First Nations woman, I have uh, heard and I have been personally subjected to the same type of threats that Supriya describes only from mainstream people uh, in the general population. Uh, another here, uh, another viewer is, is wondering if you noticed uh, an increase in these types of threats or vitriolic messages sent your way uh 2016 or post 2016, uh, when Donald Trump achieved and reached the Oval Office, did you did you notice a, a change there in tone? Did the landscape change for you in 2016? So I wouldn't say it was necessarily 2016 itself, but I would say throughout the last four years, um, it, the rhetoric had gotten demonstrably worse, and the types of things that people were willing to you know email to me directly. Um, definitely, you know, took a nosedive in terms of uh, just the kinds of things they were saying. Um, often, in many cases, if it was like, not directly a threat, but just like a, a you know, barrage of racist insults, um, people would be okay with using their real email in a lot of cases. Um, and that's, you know, kind of surprising from my perspective, but I think it just goes to show how, how low our general discourse and how, how angry people are and how willing they are to, to take that anger out on somebody, you know, who is um, putting out facts and views that are antithetical to their own. And so it's kind of ironic that like, for the people who end up decrying snowflakes uh, for the most part are themselves very snowflake-esque. Yeah. Oh, nobody's cornered the market on snowflakes. I can I can tell you that uh, with with a ton of firsthand experience. We're talking to Sapria Duvetti, uh, a, a good friend of mine. And, and it's kind of funny, Sapria. I want to in just a moment, I want to allude to the fact. Actually, no, let's just do it now. Uh, there there's a whole bunch of people on, on both of our comment threads on YouTube, on Twitter as well, saying, when are you going to offer her a job? Um, just so everybody knows. <laughs> Um, now, you're, you're a lawyer, you're an accomplished lawyer, you've lived in Montreal, you have a family, you're well set up in Toronto. But just to be very clear, Sapria, if you would ever agree to co-host this show with me, we will find the money, we will pay you more than what you were getting paid at Chorus, I make you that promise, and if you would ever <laughs> consider a move to Alberta, we would love to have you. So consider this an on-the-record job offer. Would you ever consider moving? I mean, I know we have, our, we have a bit of a ripple in our pond right now with our COVID numbers. I'm not sure i'd be picking up my family and moving to alberta right now but would you ever consider moving west yeah man like i who can get sick of fresh mountain air like it's just the natural beauty of of the west always will win out in terms of the concrete jungle of uh of toronto but uh 
I, yeah. So that's, that, that's okay. there, but you are right with respect to COVID. It's not exactly, you know, <laughs> yeah. ideal time. Well, we're going to, we're going to talk about uh, uh, actually a tweet that you put out a short while ago. You referenced that iconic, well, that, I mean, it resonated that McLean's cover that had, you know, the sort of the, it was like the conservative Canadian Mount Rushmore, uh, at least the current one. <laughs> and, uh, and you had a pretty good jab at that one. We'll get to that in just a moment. Sapria Dovetti, our host, uh, as you can tell, uh, Canada, I don't, I don't care if you agree. And, and quite frankly, you don't even know her politics. I was going to say, if you don't agree with her, you don't know her politics, uh, but whether you agree with her perspective or not, you can't say she doesn't know what she's talking about. You can't say she's not articulate. Thrilled to have Supriya with us through this hour. Right now, wanted to recognize another one of our partners that keeps us right here on the air each and every morning, bringing you real talk, and it's the team at Friesen Brothers. Friesen Brothers. Sam, I can just go full screen on this one right now because I want people to see how serious I am about what the team at Friesen Brothers is offering up and coming up on 15 Alberta communities this spring. They're getting set to open an incredible South Edmonton location. I was able to throw on the hard hat, tour the store under construction. It's going to blow your mind. I'm not allowed to tell you some of the specific things they're going to be offering quite yet, but I will as soon as I'm able and you'll see what I mean. But if you've been into a Friesen Brothers before, you know what I'm talking about. They employ Red Seal chefs. Red Seal chefs! So if you want to take a break from holiday cooking, those responsibilities this holiday season, why not leave it to the team at Friesen Brothers? Fresh turkey, Alberta-grown produce, and that sourdough bread. Check out a Friesen Brothers near you. Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned. Supriya Duvetti is our guest. Uh, Sam, can we call up that McLean's uh, cover? Uh, Supriya, this uh, tweet from you just the other day, and, and I laughed out loud when I saw it. Uh, you, you, this was the cover that McLean's put out. Of course, you can see with with uh, the conservative premiers, Scott Moe, Jason Kenney, Brian Pallister, Doug Ford. And then, of course, at that time, Andrew Scheer was the leader of Canada's conservatives. You released it again, saying McLean should do another cover with these premiers, but with their pandemic response. What would the coverage look like if you were writing that story? Oh man, it would just be like a picture of a tire fire, I suppose. And I would swap out Andrew Shear for Quebec Premier uh, Legault, Legault yeah. in there, just to get a full, yeah, just to get the full smorgasbord of, uh, of of premiers that I think have really, um, you know, been reactive instead of proactive in in some of their uh, actions. I mean, I, I to be honest, I has. What are the restrictions like in, in Alberta right now? I, I'm not even sure I'm necessarily aware of the full gamut of them, but from what I understand, like not a whole lot, right? I think uh, I, I'm going to have to quote the tweet. Uh, I'm going to have to paraphrase the tweet off the top of my head because I don't have it exactly in front of me. Uh, but Luke Fevin, uh, according to Luke, uh, the number two, according to Luke on Twitter, put it out a while ago, and he said uh, something along the lines of, of uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to blow it. But it's something, Sapria, like, welcome to Alberta, where only 10 people are allowed to gather in church if the guy that died is your dad, but 750 can gather in church if the guy that died is Jesus. And I thought that he yeah, kind of, okay. you know, so so that's Alberta. You can, you can still play at the slots at the casinos. Um, you can still uh, show up with several hundred others to church. Um, you can't hold a funeral or a wedding with more than 10 people. Uh, you like th the 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 approach to this is ridiculous. And what really grinds my gears about the way that the tone that Alberta is taking right now is that someone like you or let me just say any of the 
you know, 27 or 28 million Canadians outside of Alberta that would be paying attention to the headlines and watching our numbers would think that every single one of us is some backwoods, uneducated hillbilly that doesn't believe that masks work and that are going to light tiki torches and uh, grab our pitchforks if anybody says that we might have to get a vaccination, uh, get, get a vaccine. And, and that's really what's driving me crazy about Alberta. Well, look, I, I will just say as somebody who's never lived in Alberta, but has spent my life in Quebec and Ontario, I, I just to reassure you, I, I do not think that is what the majority of, of Canadians think of regular everyday Albertans. I think we have lots of questions with respect to uh, your choice in, in government right now. But, you know, that's a completely uh, separate and, and tangential issue to the fact that I think a lot of Canadians are just really worried um, about Al Albertans right now. I mean, you have a positivity rate, I think, provincially, that's a, a little over 9%, which is very alarming. It's, it's you know, I'm, I'm here from my perch here in, in Toronto. I uh, see tweets and, and posts from physicians who are very, very worried with respect to uh, what is coming down the pipe and what they're already starting to see in terms of the intensive care unit and just uh, with hospitalizations more generally. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's concerning. Um, and I think, you know, with respect to that McLean's cover, I, I think the one thing that a lot of those premiers have in common is the, is like the rhetoric that is being put out with respect to pandemic response is over-reliant on personal responsibility and personal responsibility is great. I'm a huge fan of personal responsibility, but these are, you know, when you're put into government during a pandemic, like you can't really be a libertarian in the middle of a pandemic because you need coordinated government response. You need the government to put out directives with respect to, you know, best health practices and what should be doing. And it shouldn't be on, let's say an individual store owner um, or a, a store employee who's paid like minimum wage to be enforcing mask policies because we see what can happen with that. I mean, people have been in the States and in Canada as well, people have been um, re reacted in some cases violently to, to that. And, and that's where you need the, the government to, to step up. And then you kind of get into this whole weird question of if you hate government so much, like why did you go into it? Like it's, it's just, it's very weird to me ideologically. Uh, Sapria, a, a gal by the name of Aaron Shaw uh, works at a pub called the, the Crown and Anchor in North Edmonton. Saturday night, she required 14 stitches to her face uh, following a fight with a customer uh, after they uh, after she essentially direct, you know, directed them or, or uh, you know, asked them to, to basically comply with the policy around masks, around covid protocols. Uh, she's got 14 stitches between her eyes right now. She says it's going to be a hell of a scar. I think that, that that's one example of thousands across Canada. We, we saw another example, again, in Edmonton. Now, these examples are, are, are more forefront in my mind because of where I live. I'm not saying everything's happening in Alberta. It's certainly happening across country. But, but you know, a, a guy that was working in a South Edmonton liquor store, uh, I actually went there like four days after and bought enough wine to last the entire pandemic just to send a clear message to him of support. But, but he, he was, a, a, you know, subjected to a racial attack uh, because he asked a guy to wear a mask because the guy came into the store because there weren't strict orders and it was being left up to 
shop owners. There were, there's really no enforcement. Uh, yeah, I mean, these are the types of things that are, should be really troubling to everybody. Now, I'm not asking for a police state, and, and I'm not asking for yeah. some sort of craziness. Um, and I do think that that public education campaigns do work. You know, we take a look at, at, at sort of the, the approach that we've taken with regards to smoking cigarettes, um, where we've, we've really pursued public education in Canada. But that doesn't mean that we haven't also outlawed smoking, you know, municipally anyway, in, you know, bars and restaurants or airplanes or, or anywhere else. And, and I think a society, a healthy society, has to pick its spots. And when it does pick a spot where it thinks that there is some government oversight and even enforcement necessary, we need to make it meaningful or else it has no teeth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, there needs to be consistency, you know, with the, the public health messaging. And so if in some part of Canada, you're hearing that masks work and they're super important and there are proper policies that are being put in place at the provincial level and also at the municipal level that you're making sure that people are following that. And then you have uh, an, another jurisdiction within the same country that is, you know, a little more laissez-faire. Um, you can say, okay, well, let's wait and see how it goes with respect to the numbers. But, you know, once you start to see that, that increase and it's, it's worrying and what's especially worrying and what I think a lot of people don't necessarily have uh, a better appreciation of is that the thing with exponential growth is that it grows exponentially. And so the case count gets out of control very quickly um, before you start to realize it because you know very quickly those cases and from single digits end up to double digits. And then before you know it, you have ICUs that are, that are completely overrun and, and overloaded. And you have doctors having to ration oxygen or having to make the most you know, difficult decisions with respect to who gets a ventilator and who doesn't. It's totally insane, and and these are the types of things where you'd think you'd, you you know you'd you'd want to paint. I mean, a, a picture to wake people up as as a pandemic was approaching. Like it's sort of like as this tsunami wave is is sort of you know fifteen or twenty seconds away, and you're explaining to people very quickly why they better run like hell because here's what could happen. Yeah. And if you start talking about field tents and field hospitals and oxygen rationing and double bunking people in ICUs. Um, that would be the type of thing where you'd expect to say this is absolute worst case scenario. But the fact of the matter is, in some Canadian jurisdictions, including in Alberta right now, that's the reality. Uh, not the tents yet, but the government's procuring them, saying as a caution. But we are rationing oxygen. We are double bunking in the ICU, and it's crazy. Uh, more with Supriya Duvetti in just a moment. We're going to get to a clip. Uh, we're going to bring you clips from Ontario's health minister, uh, Christine Elliott. And I also want to bring you uh, what Manitoba's premier, Brian Pallister, had to say yesterday. But I also want to let you know about St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. I'm super excited. I love this from a listener yesterday. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name, but she says to me, I love, she says, I love the way you talk about your Jeep Grand Cherokee. She says, at the beginning, I always think you're just telling a story. And then at the end, I realize it's a commercial. And I thought, yeah, that works out all right, doesn't it? I've got, <laughs> I've got this Jeep Grand Cherokee from St. Albert Dodge. Uh, they've got this brand new dealership. Absolutely stunning. And, uh, of course, Sherwood Dodge, almost, I mean, if you live in that neck of the woods, you know that they've been in business now for, I guess, coming up on 10 years. Uh, at that time, when they first opened all the way through till now, the buzz was the selection they had and the offerings that they have for people that are looking to walk right up right now and make an improvement, upgrade your ride before the snow and ice really starts to set in and, well, travel can be miserable. The 2020 Jeep Grand Cherokee, absolutely beautiful and it gets the Jespo two thumbs up. Go talk to Scott and his teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge.
Supriya Duvetti, our guest. Uh, Sam, do we have the Christine Elliott clip locked and loaded? Uh, we're going to get that in just a second. Obviously, uh, the uh, the Minister of Health out of Ontario. Um, how, how would you assess, by the way, uh, Supriya, the job that Minister Elliott has been doing? Uh, how, how would you characterize uh, specifically the job that the Ontario government has doing? There are a lot of Albertans right now. Uh, you know, if I can sort of take all their comments and lump them into one, people are saying, remember when everybody thought that Doug Ford was a bit of a joke? I think that he's gained some favor in the minds of many Albertans, many Western Canadians over the past number of months, not to say the performance has been perfect. How would you assess it? I would assess if I'm giving him a letter grade, is that what you're asking for? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So letter grade wide, I'd say C, C minus maybe, um, you know, I, it's not necessarily a fail, but it's not something you want to bring home to your parents to put on the fridge. Um, I think a lot of the reaction has been, slow um unfortunately i'm i'm not ascribing any any motivations to you know our government i think they're trying to do what they think is is the best thing and i i i definitely do not um envy their position with respect to needing to you know put in restrictions and put in measures but i think when it comes to some of the health advice that they claim to be receiving there's not a whole lot of transparency with respect to who is you know behind the decision making um and who necessarily is uh, i guess in the premier's ear or in the health minister's ear and i mean just to give one example when ontario had uh, switched up their framework with respect to this color-coded um system that they had they had put the threshold with respect to putting in more stringent measures, like the most stringent measures at like a 10% positivity rate. And that's just an insane amount of positivity um, to put in, uh, to bake in. And, and they had to, you know, walk that back once like basically every public health official and infectious diseases specialist was like, whoa, that's kind of nuts in terms of uh, too high of a threshold. And, and so they, they are receptive and they do listen to criticism and, and there is, you know, merit to that. And, and I do give them kudos for that. But I mean, again, you have to be proactive with this stuff. You can't just be reactive and, and waiting until um, stuff really starts to hit the fan. Um, and, you know, reacting to to what's going on. I mean, you're in government, yet you have to make these decisions. Um, They're not easy decisions, but you do have to make them. And we are in a pandemic. So you you know, this isn't this isn't time as as normal. This isn't this isn't normal times. These are pandemic times. And so you have to act like a a government in in an emergency. Uh, Let's get to this is Ontario's Minister of Health, uh, the Honorable Christine Elliott. Uh, Just the other day, I I, I would in in a move that and we'll get you to break it down, Supriya, after we see it. My impression is that this is a move to relieve a little bit of pressure at home, to deflect a little bit of the national or even the attention in Ontario away from the Ontario government and its performance on this file. Let's roll is not in crisis right now. You want to speak about who is in crisis? Have you taken a look at Alberta where they're doubling up patients in intensive care units? We're not doing that in Ontario. Okay, so Ontario's not in crisis. You want to see crisis, take a look at Alberta. Interesting strategy. When you say something like that in in a legislature on the record, you know that it's it's going to get the reach that it has. What did you make of the comment? I mean, Ontario, at least we're not Alberta doesn't exactly fit onto a bumper sticker. And I'm sure that's not a slogan that uh, this government really wants to throw around going forward. So I certainly take the minister's point that, yeah, there are places that are doing worse than we are, but I, I, that's a pretty low bar. And, and I don't mean any offense, you know, to Albertans when I, when I say that, I don't think the vast majority would take offense, but we've heard that kind of reasoning from the government 
um, prior to them using Alberta as an example. I mean, they've used U.S. states as uh, as previous examples. This was the first time they threw a Canadian jurisdiction under the bus. But I'd be very curious to see how Jason Kenney's people felt about that comment. Oh, can you imagine? I mean, I, I uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I heard uh, personally uh, yesterday from uh, from from uh, Jason Kenney's uh, new top communications guy, who you know, Brock Harrison, who is uh, Andrew Shear's top communications guy. He was Daniel Smith's top communications guy in past with the Wild Rose Party, and and uh, the United Conservatives have, had pushed out messaging that that basically Albertans unite in times of crisis. This is something the NDP has never understood. And I just read that and I'm like, Albertans unite. This is what the NDP is. It's just it's so moronic as a communication strategy. You you have to assume that everybody that reads it is an absolute idiot. Uh, And so I pushed it out and I basically just said, how stupid do these guys think we are? Right. I said, Albertans don't give a fuck about Jason Kenney and Brock Harrison's beef with the NDP. Albertans demand steady, mature leadership at a time of total crisis. Step up. And I stand by it. I'm looking at the camera. Step up, right? So he responds. This is this is the top comms guy. He says, yesterday, Alberta became the first province to announce a comprehensive vaccine distribution plan with expert leadership, priority groups, and phases with target dates for 100% of the population. I mean, in other words, patting himself on the back. They're pretty proud of the job they're doing. Uh, it's pretty difficult for me to wrap my mind around it. It's as though it, there's a parallel reality where none of the facts actually fit. Yeah. Yeah, and that's worrying. And I think, you know, when you're living in a situation where people can't agree on the same objective reality, I, I think that's where we get into very dangerous and worrying territory. And the US is a good example of that, where you have a sizable number of Americans that just don't believe in, in you know, verifiable facts. And it's it, it's happened in, in other places, I think, um, India under Modi is a very good example. I would say Brazil under Bolsonaro is another very good example. And I think Canadians should be very wary and very worried about where we're headed um, with this kind of discourse and not being able to get our political leaders to be straight with us when it comes to, again, objective facts. You can come to very wildly different conclusions on the same based on the same set of facts but facts are facts and if we can't you know agree on that or if we can't you know discern what is what is true and what is not it's that's some dystopian shit right there man like i don't know i don't know how else to put it yeah no kidding let's take a look at what uh as we make our way across canada sapria devetti our guest uh and 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 of course you saw her tweet earlier evaluating or, or suggesting that we should be evaluating the performance of canada's premiers manitoba uh, has really been into one as well. Uh, you know, lower population, obviously, so the numbers may not be grabbing everybody's attention, but Manitoba's really struggling. And Brian Pallister faced a lot of fire and a lot of national attention, unflattering attention, when when he kind of got into one, a weird exchange with Rosemary Barton the other week as well, suggesting that she, as a journalist, should be coming up with solutions in the interview to the province's pandemic response. Well, Brian Pallister is at least among some people, uh, achieving some favor, maybe maybe getting back in some people's good books with what proved to be somewhat of an emotional plea just yesterday. Let's take a look. I will do what I believe is right. And right now we need to save lives. If you don't think that COVID's real, right now you're an idiot. You need to understand 
that we're all in this together. You cannot fail to understand this. Stay apart. So I'm the guy who has to tell you to stay apart at Christmas and in the holiday season you celebrate with your faith or without your faith, that you celebrate with normally with friends and with family, that where you share memories and build memories. I'm that guy. And I'll say that because it will keep you safe. I'm the guy who's stealing Christmas to keep you safe because you need to do this now. You need to do the right thing because next year we'll have lots to celebrate and we'll celebrate this year if we do the right thing this year. You don't need to like me. I hope in years to come you might respect me for having the guts to tell you the right thing. And here's the right thing. Stay safe. Protect each other. Love each other. Care for each other. You've got so many ways to show that. But don't get together this Christmas. How about that? Yeah, I mean, emotional plea, as you said, very poignant, very to the point. Uh, I wonder if perhaps some of that, you know, bluntness could have been delivered to Manitobans, um, you know, a little bit earlier, better late than never, of course. But I, I also wonder how much of this is because of earlier comments he made. I mean, you referenced the interview that he did with uh, Rosemary Barton on, on CBC. I, I would also say that earlier in the week, he had some rather questionable comments with respect to what would happen in a vaccine rollout situation if uh, First Nations or Indigenous communities were to receive uh, doses of the vaccine prior to um, other areas in the province and that you would see basically like a rush of people um, from southern Manitoba going north to try and, and get the vaccine and yada yada. So I, 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 this is me being kind of cynical here, but I, I do wonder how much of this was to change the channel and to uh, get off of some of some coverage with respect to that. But I mean, his message is absolutely correct. He is the guy that's going to steal that is stealing Christmas, but he's doing it because he wants to keep you safe. That is the message that should you know be out there from all our political leaders and all our public health officials in unison, because that, that's what Canadians, irrespective of where they're living, you know, need to hear. And I was rather concerned in the lead up to uh, Diwali, for example, here in the GTA, um, that folks in, in, in positions of leadership around here weren't necessarily getting um, that message across and had gotten to it a little bit you know, too late. Um, so I, I'm glad at least with respect to Christmas, which is going to be, of course, you know, huge across the country, the message is getting out there that it's going to look different because it is going to look different. It has to look different. It's not going to be the same. And I, I think people don't necessarily have an appreciation for the um, spike that we had, you know, post Thanksgiving all across the country, uh, two weeks after Thanksgiving weekend that there was an uptick in cases. And so we can't have that in at, at Christmas time especially because across the country, numbers are, are already like untenable and they're already at very dangerous levels. Uh, Terry's listening in and she says, Jason Kenney needs to come out and say the exact same thing that Brian Pallister said, that if you think COVID is fake, you're an idiot. Uh, Terry says, do you really think he has the guts or would that alienate more of his crackpot base? 
Uh, it's been interesting to see Alberta's premier really, uh, and I and I really dug into this yesterday, Supriya. Uh, I was super annoyed. Um, actually, Sam, can you call up that? You know the exact graphic I'm, I'm calling for, Supriya. I don't know if you saw this. This was from Alberta's premier. So this this was released from the premier's office. Uh, tell me tell me your first impression of the graphic design of this. Okay, uh, it, it's basically. It speaks for itself, right? The big, bold print in color uh, is how Alberta will not make any vaccine mandatory. And then the small print is like, oh, yeah, but we also need as many people to get possible, you know, to get vaccinated as possible. And I will when it's my turn. And I hope others will, too, in the small print. And and, and now they're talking about they, they want to make constitutional changes to ensure that they that a government couldn't impose mandatory vaccinations. Nobody believes that the government would be imposing mandatory vaccinations. No elected official at any level has suggested that the government would impose mandatory vaccinations. The, the, the Alberta premier is pandering to a real I mean, like like Terry, the listener said, and I'll say it again, a crackpot base. Uh, that is angry about masks, that is uh, cynical or, or, as a matter of fact, defiant against things like vaccinations. You know, some of them would be happy, uh, you know, young Ezekiel at 18 months old in southern Alberta died at the hands of his parents uh, in a horrific fashion to meningitis because they were treating him with mustard and horseradish. They wouldn't take him to the doctor. They, they wouldn't get him the help that he needed. I mean, this is the type of messaging that's happening here. Uh, would you expect that leadership looks like or do you assess that leadership looks like what brian pallister just put there looking into it you never hear premiers calling people idiots but brian pallister did he he did and and i think that's what was so uh, jarring but it kind of in a, in, a, in a good way if you will um with respect to the the reaction that he received because i think everyone heard what you know premier pallister had to say and was just like oh fuck okay we better get our acting gear because uh, he's not messing around. And I think with respect to what, you know, Kenny had just put out that in the, the, the graphic that you had put up, I mean, I look at that and I go, what the fuck kind of message is that? Um, because was it ever a question that there was going to be mandatory vaccinations irrespective of, you know, whether nobody has said that have... nobody has yeah. said that. So it's, I don't know, it's like they, they might as well have said, you know, Al Al Alberta will not make toque wearing mandatory. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's just as ridiculous of, of, of a statement to put in there. Well, and it was the timing of it too that pissed me off. Like, yeah. you know, because it's like, th this is the day. Keep in mind, the context really matters too. It was the day that, that it was international news that they were making progress on uh, different vaccines, but in particular ones that Canadians were going to be able to procure. Uh, provincial governments were talking about vaccine rollout. We were... Uh, meeting, you know, Rick Hillier and other prominent Canadians that'll be part of the rollout to ensure that it happens, that Canadians that need the vaccine get it most. The national conversation was all about that. And the conversation or the message out of the premier's office was, don't worry, you won't have to take it. Like that should have been like the 11th thing that he said, you know, and I just, I just sit there and yeah. I'm like, who, I mean, I would say who's given the guy advice, but I know exactly who's given the guy advice and it drives me nuts. Well, and I wonder what their internal polling is saying. So is their internal polling telling them that, you know, their base or their constituency is in fact very concerned about mandatory vaccinations? And it certainly doesn't help that at the federal level, you have Commander Waterford or what's his face, um, Derek Sloan, you know, sponsoring a, a petition uh, with respect to all of this kookiness and misinformation about vaccines. And it just, it feeds into conspiracy theorists. It feeds into really dangerous rhetoric that has long-term implications, you know, for the safety and well-being of all of us. And it's, it's not helpful. And it's, it's, I would say, not only not helpful, but it's actually 
actively making things worse. And your job as a premier should not be to make things worse. Supriya Devetti, our guest. Uh, back to Supriya in just a moment. Want to pay a couple of bills real quick. We're so grateful this week Park Power joined us on our list of builders, and we're thrilled to have them here because the Park Power business model is in a way similar to the Real Talk business model. Friendly, for the most part. Us, anyway. They're friendly all the time. Local and giving back to the community. Those are the bedrocks, in my opinion, of any business, ours or theirs, worth your support right now. Park Power offers internet, electricity, and natural gas in Alberta. If you want to dial into the call center, you're going to talk to somebody in Alberta. You have a question about your bill, customer service, you're going to talk to somebody based right here in Alberta that can understand the specific nature of the community you're calling from and the specific service provision you need. So they're proud of their low rates. They're proud of their great service. See for yourself. But they're also really proud about the profit sharing that they commit to with local charities. They say it helps you actually feel a little bit better when you get your bill, knowing that those profits are going toward nonprofits. You can check them out at parkpower.ca. But also, what other power companies are prominent on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok? They're on LinkedIn too, but TikTok? Give Park Power a follow and show your support to them for supporting us. We also want to give a shout out to the team at Alta Storage. If this is maybe the time of year where you're considering making a move, whether it's residential or commercial, whether it's big or small, Alta Storage is your one-stop shop for all your building and moving needs. You know these pod-style containers? You know the ones I'm talking about. They drop them off on your property. Now, you can either fill that pod-style container yourself or They've got a team that can help you. They can move it to the new location. You can use those frog boxes as well if you really want to make sure you go green, go eco-friendly. And get this, for their commercial customers, they can provide on-site storage for any project. They're in the business of problem-solving at Alta Storage, and you can get in touch with them by following the link under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Supriya Duvetti is our guest, uh, AM uh, 640 on Toronto up until, uh, was it November 26th? That was, that was the day that you left? 27th, so the, it was last Friday. The 27th. What was that last show like for you? Uh, when you did your last show, how did you sign off to your audience? Because I want to I want to be clear about something. I never, first of all, I never had a chance to say goodbye to my AM audience, which was difficult. Um, and and I guess uh, the best part is that most of them followed me over here, Supriya. So I'm able to continue the conversation with them. But you did have an opportunity to say goodbye to the people that woke up with you every morning. How did you wrap up your career there at Chorus? To be honest, it's a little bit of a blur. Yeah. I wish I had written something down. I wish I had prepared something. I wanted to speak from the heart, so I did. I feel really fucking dumb because I, I choked up on air and I started to cry. And um, I'm not really a crier. I joke all the time that I'm a little bit dead inside. But <laughs> it was just thinking back to seeing that email about my kid, um, about somebody, you know, talking about raping her. And it was... it. I, I hope people understand just just the this just how fucked up that is. Like how messed up it is that somebody would start targeting your kid in that matter with such vile language in such a graphic way that I um you know I I was honest. I, I said it was very different when I was getting a lot of shit thrown my way, and it's just it hits a completely different note when people start targeting your child, your infant child, at that and. Um, I wanted to let you know everyone know uh, the real reason as to why I was I was piecing out, and 
Um, I, you know, after I put out my spiel, I, I spent the rest of it I, uh, thanking, you know, colleagues and and everyone and listeners at uh, at 6:40 because the the you know the truth is is like you have this vociferous crazy minority that ends up ruining it for the lot of us who are trying to partake in discourse. And I mean, I, I did say this in my tweet thread, I wanted to make sure that the listeners, you know, the regular listeners who have provided very thoughtful feedback and commentary and have engaged me in really interesting debate, like they're not the misinfo meme keyboard warriors I was referring to. Um, I, I think I, and I'm sure you would agree, like we're better for it when we get thoughtful commentary from listeners and we're Absolutely. able to engage with them. Yeah, and, and it, I just don't want people to, to confuse that. There's a very specific brand of, you know, listeners that get hopped up on um, misinfo and in their echo chambers uh, that end up spewing this vitriol. And that is by no means, um, you know, a depiction of your regular everyday talk radio listener. Yeah, it was always for me uh, every day when I would sit in that chair, uh, I, I would mentally... I felt like, you know, when it, when, a, when a driver gets into a race car and puts on that five-point seatbelt, like I, that was kind of what I did mentally because I would, I would sign in to the text line about two minutes before I'd go live on the air. And sometimes the first message I would read would be like, you know, uh, good morning, Jespo. We're tuned in for another great show. Thanks for doing what you do. And sometimes it would be like, you know, you liberal leftist elitist global UN hack. I hope you die from COVID. And 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 you sort of would never know what you were going to get. Or you'd be in the middle of an interview that was going well, and then someone would say something that would just be horrific. Um, I had people post photos of my son as well. Uh, I had uh, one person in particular reference uh, with with relative accuracy where we live uh, with a threat oh, wow. of violence. Yeah, we actually, I mean, in that, I, I, we only had to call the cops three times. I had that show for six years. We only had to call the cops three times. Uh, one of them was was when you remember those five police. I think it was off the top of my head. I hope I'm not wrong. But those five police officers got shot in Dallas. Uh, you remember that a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. someone said someone talked about going Dallas in Edmonton and, and out. I mean, it was like a, it was an it was a, a flat out threat of violence toward the police. And I couldn't I mean, I'm sitting there thinking like you're texting from your phone like we have your number. My producer is literally calling 911 right now. That person texts into the show the next morning furious that I embarrassed them in their neighborhood because SWAT showed up at their front door. Like, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? You know, and the other two instances where we called the police were threats of violence against me or my family. But for the most part. People were chill. People were cool. And what 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 I really, you know, what I hope doesn't happen is is like I said earlier, and like I alluded to earlier, that the medium of talk or that the platforms that we have, and that's one of the you know the big impetus here. That's why we have such motivation here is that the 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 poison cannot pollute the entire well. You know what I mean? Uh, there's always yeah. going to be that that and and there's a lot of uh, I think mental illness at play. I think that there's substance use at play. Um, you know, with regards to some of the comments we get, but, but I don't believe, I guess the point I'm getting at, uh, if I were to boil it down is just that I don't believe it's all bad, but the bad actors are the worst. 
yeah, it's like the bad is really fucking bad and the good is good, but sometimes the really fucking bad kind of, you know, outweighs the good in certain situations. And I mean, for me, I had a lot of people just being like, well, you know, you're basically letting the trolls win. You're, you're letting these, these keyboard warriors, as I was referring to them, they, they win. They've basically pushed you off. And I, I don't know, I don't really see it as winning or losing from my perspective. It's like, if you want to qualify me leaving as the trolls winning, then I guess, okay, fine. Maybe they win, but like, I'm not exactly going to roll the dice on my kid's well-being and, and her safety. Cause I mean, you know, I don't really want to have to think twice about, putting a picture out of her where perhaps there's like a street sign visible in the background yeah. or like you can tell what specific park we're at when I'm pushing her on the swing and really worry about, you know, if some one of these nut jobs is going to get some ideas or have a better idea of where I live in Toronto. So did you, uh, when I got canned, uh, there was this, uh, I mean, to be honest, there was overwhelming public support and it meant the world to me and it will always mean the world to me. Um, but then there, there was the faction. There was the little army that, that hated me before uh, that celebrated my firing, and 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 now I I think that that uh, well I hope they're enjoying this all. Um, <laughs> I dedicate this show to you. Uh, but but for the most part, uh, people were wonderful. But there were the haters that 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 are getting quieter and quieter and, and quieter. And I guess um, if I can just say and gloat and be an asshole for a second, I guess when you have the number one podcast in Canada, uh, people can people can suck it. Um, and so that's my message to them. But what was what was what was your experience like when when you uh, announced your resignation? When when you did your last show, have you been still subjected? I mean, you're you're public, you're accessible, you're on social media. Um, has that dialed back or are you still receiving? I mean, are people celebrating the fact that you left? Do they, are they counting a win? Are they putting this one in their own win column, putting a notch, uh, so to speak up on the wall? To be completely honest, I have not checked my mentions on Twitter since last Friday, since, uh, yeah. since leaving, I basically signed off the show and I, I've checked DMS because there's been such an outpouring of support from, uh, just so many folks, like colleagues, former colleagues, people I've never met, people that are concerned, um, that want to help, that are, you know, very worried about the way discourse is being shaped in this country. And so I, I'm, I'm sure there are people that are celebrating me leaving. I'm sure there are people that are, you know, writing into 640 to be like, well, no, that bitch is off. I'm going to listen again or whatever, but like, I don't give a fuck. Like, okay, go, go celebrate <laughs> yeah. in your like mom's basement or whatever the hell it yeah. is where you're writing from. Yeah, I agree. Um, before we go, you put out the cutest video of your daughter and you said you were teaching her early on on how to prepare for Diwali and you were you were, you were teaching her about Diwali cleaning and hospitality and all those types of things um ho holiday celebrations you know obviously for for people of all different faith communities and 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 people that'll get, be gathering through the holidays as well that, that don't recognize the faith will be very different this year due to COVID or at least we hope they will be um how is how, how is your family's uh, celebrations and how is your holiday season how's your you know mid to late December into the new year uh, going to be different and, and how are you wrapping your mind around it this year let me let me actually the bigger question uh, you just walked away from a job and your 2020 uh, I mean everybody's 2020 has been crazy mine's been crazy yours has been crazy how are you wrapping your mind around the whole thing I mean it's been such a trip right and so much of it has been surreal I think for myself I'm a huge Christmas fan like I have been since I was a kid 
Um, you know, we're, we're big on as soon as December 1st hits around, we decorate the house, we uh, start watching Christmas movies, and we make sure that all of the top tier Christmas movies uh, can only really be watched uh, towards, you know, more towards actual Christmas, and you don't want to use them up all, all at the beginning. But yeah, man, it's going to be different. Like, I'm very close with my sister. Uh, she lives in New York. Um, I'm not going to see her this Christmas. It's the first time we're not going to see each other at Christmas since, like, I think, since forever. And um, our kids are, are both young. I mean, my daughter is uh, a year and a half. She hasn't seen my sister's kids, like her cousins since um, February of, of this year. And we were able to eke in just, you know, by the skin of our teeth that visit. And I'm very grateful for the fact that we did, but I think it'll just make, you know, 2021 uh, holiday season just that much better knowing that we need to get through this. We have to ensure, you know, that we're not congregating with huge groups of people outside of our direct immediate household. And 2021 is going to be awesome. I agree with you. I can't wait to see what that holds. I can't wait to see what it holds for you. Um, I wonder if our storyline may start to write itself here, Supriya. Uh, Maybe. This, this is not a throwaway platitude, idiotic comment. I'm dead serious. You and I will continue this conversation. You know I have just an absolute world of respect for you. I respect the hell out of how you handled a very difficult situation in Toronto. And I'm really grateful that you gave us an hour of your time on this Friday morning. I, I can tell you that our, our viewing audience right now, our listening audience right now, is, is uh, I think that you're gaining a lot of new fans. And when you're ready to check your Twitter mentions, maybe start uh, with the 11 to noon block Eastern time today, uh, because I think you're <laughs> going to see a lot of favorable commentary here. Supriya, thank you so much for everything and, and mad respect to you. Thanks, Ryan. You've, I've always been a great fan of yours, obviously, and I uh, really respect what you're doing and uh, best of luck. And I hope we do cross paths once again. Okay, we will. That's Supriya Duvetti uh, out of Toronto. Really appreciate her time. You can see why we didn't do a roundtable today. Uh, Supriya and I could have talked for two more hours. And, uh, well, it's a good thing when an interview leaves a lot on the table because you're just going to have to have another one again now sam i'm not ready to get to it quite yet but i want to uh, just with regards to where my process is at do we have a little bit of rock and roll ready for you know let's let's say two minutes for now from now you know exactly what i'm talking about i'm talking about trash talk presented by local waste and uh, by the way i'm a little ticked off at you guys i'm a little ticked off at every single person that's watching and listening and that's emailing us at talk at ryanjesperson.com because you're making my work impossible you're sending us incredible rants and emails and things you got to get off your chest and, and you're doing it all properly. So the subject line says trash talk submission. And, and I, it's just, I'm having a very difficult time choosing and trash talk can't be 26 minutes because as you're going to see here, I'm about to get my heart rate up to about 180 and this very thick sweater with a heart rate of 180 means that you're going to see me fall flat on this table. If I go more than four minutes. So Jeez, people, all these emails you're sending. I guess what I'm really saying is I'm sorry to those of you that aren't going to hear your emails read. It doesn't mean we haven't read them and it doesn't mean they're not amazing. But, well, we kind of picked the cream of the crop for this week's edition of Trash Talk. First, I want to give a shout out to the team at Clean Air Club. Uh, we went to Clean Air Club at cleanairclub.ca and we basically said this. Hey, listen. We're going to be in a, a relatively small studio. We want to make sure that the air in here is circulating as best it can and that this is as healthy an environment as, as, as it can be, uh, you know, 365 days a year, but most especially during the COVID era. So, so they hooked us up with an air purification unit, but they said, they said but, but our business, what we do best is furnace filters. And 
they recognize they built their business on the real truth and that is that we do a really lousy job of replacing ours, of tracking when we put them in, tracking when they need to be replaced. So Clean Air Club makes it easy. You find out which filter you need. They help you figure out the frequency with which you need to replace them. Then they bring you the new ones. They drop them off at your doorstep. I mean, does it get any easier than that? Plus, they're big fans of supporting local, kind of like this show. So they include a special gift featuring another local business, another local creator every time they drop off your furnace filters. If you want to learn more, if you've got pets and all that dander in the air, right? If you've got those dusty surfaces, I mean, if these are the things we don't think about as we sleep with our mouths wide open. What's getting in there, right? I know I'm grossing you out right now, but it's because I'm trying to. Cleanairclub.ca, and if you want to find their web link, just... Well, I mean, basically, you know, you can check out the logo. Uh, check out the logo under the sponsors link at ryanjesperson.com. Also wanted to give a shout out to the team at Local Waste. Local Waste has uh, waste and recycling collection services available in Edmonton, and they've recently expanded to Regina. So unlike the multinationals, the big garbage guys, Local Waste competes uh, basically uh, in a different fashion. Local Waste market managers are shareholders in the company. And here's why this matters. It means that you're directly supporting families that you do business with, but Chris at Local Waste wants me to tell you that he's hoping to expand right now. So pay attention, everybody. They want to expand into Calgary, Red Deer, or other small centers in Alberta, even rural Alberta, but he needs to find people that have been in the waste business or entrepreneurs who want to partner with a ton of growth capital and experience learned from those very multinationals they're trying to beat. If this is resonating with you, if all of a sudden you feel like an opportunity that might fit just landed right in front of you, give Chris a call at 780-242-9746. Sam, is the Real Talk studio band ready to rock? Let's get to Trash Talk. All right, these are from emails submitted to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Troy writes in, I told you you can bitch about anything. Troy says, buttercream icing is garbage and cake is objectively worse than pie in almost every metric. Troy says, I don't know when we decided cakes were required for celebrations, but whoever came up with that idea could teach the Grinch a lesson or two because nothing saps away fun from a jovial celebration faster than mandatory cake. That from Troy. Jim says local musicians, members of the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra have gone to great lengths to stay safe, observe COVID restrictions, provide live music in limited ways to the public. The Windspear, for example, playing to audiences of 100 or less in a 1,900-seat venue. But there's been no super spreader events. Live venues, though, on the top of Premier Kenny's verboten list. He says churches can have 30% of seating and provide live music, but a music venue can't play to 5%. Premier Kenny and the United Conservatives fail to appreciate the importance of arts and culture, especially during tough times. That from Jim. And how about this? This one from 
angry Adam who says, you know, I heard a song one time that goes, you know, I have a love, a love for everyone I know. You know, I have a drive to live. You know, I won't let go. But you can see its opposition comes rising up sometimes. He says, Jason Kenny and the UCP are afraid of three things. First, conversation. Second, community. And third, the change these entities can induce. The premier's afraid of conversation, especially civil ones, because conversations share ideas. They share viewpoints. They share understandings and understandings that may not have been previously considered. Most importantly, conversations share stories and stories build nations. Conversations build communities. Angry Adam says, as the song ends, quote, we can stop our whoring and pull the smiles inside and light it forever and never sleep. My best unbeaten brother, this isn't all I see. That from Angry Adam. And here's my trash talk for the week. Everybody's watching Alberta because our numbers are out of control. Our premier, though, obsessed with placating anti-vaxxers. Our premier failing to claim up to $300 million of available federal funds, top-ups for essential workers. Why? Why are we not on the tracing app? Why don't we have the provincial mat, you know, mass directive? Why is our DUI law being criticized by bereaved parents and defense lawyers? Why is the Beaverton writing that the leading cause of death in Alberta is Jason Kenney's pride? It's time to step up. And this is Trash Talk! All right, Sam. Thanks to Local Waste for that. Local Waste presenting Trash Talk each and every Friday. And you can submit your Trash Talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Do you need a breather there for a bit? You want to take over? I I don't have any Trash Talk right now, but I really enjoyed our conversation with Supriya. What jumped Um, out at you with that? Oh, man, I got so many notes here. Oh, by the way, by the way, by the way. By the way. Great job on hiding the TV cable. Yesterday we had our new TV installed. I'm going to step yeah, up. Yeah, I'm no, going to step fine. up. It's, I'm going to show sitting back over here. I mean, it still doesn't look perfect, but we're going to get there. Yep. Okay. Yeah. There we go. We got the uh, we got the prime minister's presser on right now. Uh, keeping, keeping tabs on all the headlines. Yeah. No. Uh, God. I mean. And I also wanted to say I wanted to interrupt you to say, and if go back to your shot, Ooh, let's take you shot. again. Let's get all back right. to Sam. The lighting is nice and soft. The lighting looks great. These are our. We, these are. Our, they're not. We, they're we not, have four of six new lights installed. It's just going to get better. Four of here. six. It's going to get better and better and better. And that is yeah. thanks to. You see, I'm going to slide this in. That is thanks to those of you that are supporting us on Patreon every single month, making a small commitment. Uh, well, I'm not saying your commitment's small. I'm saying that you know, five bucks to you might be a small commitment to us it's huge and it allows us to do things like mount monitors in here so we can keep an eye on live breaking news it allows us to upgrade our lighting it allows us to add more uh, elements to make sure that the show is better for you so as you see the 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 handsome the debonair samuel g brooks uh with this soft lighting that is thanks to you our patreon supporters (laughs) debonair uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm not even wearing a jacket today. You've got that awesome sweater on. Yeah. So yeah. I, was, I was getting chirped a little bit uh, for this sweater. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, some, yeah. some some people seem to like the sweater. I was getting chirped uh, for the sweater. I don't care. I mean, I love the sweater. I'm I'm gonna be honest. I don't own a single cardigan, and I I don't know why. I don't know why I, either. I, it's like I I've I've literally put on my fiance's cardigans before, 
and been like, damn, why don't I have one? I mean, it fit very, very tight, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the visual, Sam. Oh, God. (laughs) Now, back to Sapria. Um, I mean, right off the top, she was talking about the comparison that, you know, when her... When her ho- when her co-host gets hate mail, it's "Hey, you suck." When she gets hate mail, it's "Hey, you suck," and I'm gonna rape you. Like it, it just it is. I'm struggling to find the words to try and f- and 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 empathize and put myself in a lived experience as to what um, journalists, women journalists, journalists of color, people that have a little bit of a, a public persona. Like I just, I, I don't have a children yet and I can't imagine like questioning every time you're going to post a photo of your kids online. You know what I mean? Like, it's just what she's had to deal with is, is so horrible and she's so articulate and she was such an unbelievably wonderful person to talk to that I just yeah. like, I mean, if I can say anything, it's that, like clearly this experience has given her a real platform. It's given her a real spotlight, and and things are going to go way up for her. Like I can just tell they yeah, are. Yeah, I think so, you know you you sometimes find yourself in a situation where you 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 resign from a high profile job. I mean, like if you work in broadcasting, uh, t- you know, to put it into perspective, the AM gig on six forty Toronto is like you've made it. You know what I mean? If that's your job, that's going to be your job. You hope. For probably 20 years, right? Like you, you will experience career success in that role. To walk away from that, I think, really says something. A, it's it, it shows that she has an incredible amount of confidence and she's very capable and she's very marketable and she's very employable. Uh, and, but Hope, it also, hopefully on real talk. Yeah, we, we got to be, I mean, you know, we're going to have to, like, I'm, we got to have this conversation off air, not on air. But I'm, but I'm like, if we can add Sapria to the mix, uh, that to me would just be. I mean, real talk. People are writing right now. Our, into our, our like, viewers want it too. They're very, well, yeah, very they're, badly. Well, and they're going. Are you serious? Are you going to be expanding the show after week two? Like, maybe. Um, but let's not talk about that on air. Let's keep it classy. But, but honestly, we're. I'm. You know, I'm serious about in in some way tapping into Sapria's talent because I could talk to her forever. She's smart. She provides an Eastern Canadian perspective, which would give us a true national base. I, I know. I said I was going to talk about it off air, and then I keep talking about it on air. Uh, so maybe I'll stop that. But it also, to get back to my point, it says, number one, she's confident in herself. But it sh- number two, it very clearly shows how bad it was, right? To, to, to walk away from a job like that, it's not like she was on some assembly line, you know, getting mistreated by a, a whip-cracking employer. And she was like, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go find another minimum wage job. Uh-uh. That was not the situation. So I, I think it was a real clear indicator there. And, and I'm grateful that she was so candid. On the show, it's it's got to be liberating. I got the sense that as the hour went on, she felt sort of more and more, you know. I mean, she's she's never had a problem expressing herself, but you could tell that she really started to get comfortable in this format. I'm still getting comfortable in this format, you know. So uh, it's been a heck of a week, and uh, we're very much looking forward to next Monday. In the meantime, we want to thank those of you that have been tuning into the show. Uh, I love this. I'm just reading on the on the live comments on YouTube. Somebody says trash talk takes me back to the Edmonton Oilers T-shirt toss. Yeah, it's a way for me to kind of get into that lower level when it's been a while. Uh, thank you for being a loyal fan of this show. Make sure you keep telling your friends about it. Make sure you show your parents how to subscribe to us on YouTube and ring the bell so they get a notification when we get on air. Make sure you tell everybody you work with they need to subscribe to the Real Talk podcast. Have a great weekend. Keep it on the rails, and we'll talk to you again live Monday morning at 8.30 Mountain Time.